Paul and his friend Silas went into Thessalonica, a bustling town on the coast of the Aegean Sea. It was a crossroads in the Roman world. When Paul showed up, he started talking and he stirred up trouble. He did this wherever he went. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. Wherever he was, he went to the marketplace, he went to the synagogue, there he started something. Didn't matter whether it was Jews or Gentiles, Greeks or Romans, he argued with them all. In Jerusalem, he argued with the original disciples who didn't consider Paul a real apostle because he never talked to Jesus personally, just in a vision on the road to Damascus. He argued with philosophers in Athens. He was kicked out of towns. His life was threatened. In Thessalonica, some people didn't like what Paul was saying. Luke says that they were jealous of Paul. They felt threatened by Paul. So they stirred up a mob in the marketplace. They made trouble and they put the city in an uproar. They went through the streets, they spread rumors, they told lies, they collected people looking for Paul and Silas. Unable to find them, they grabbed a man named Jason along with a few others and took them to the leaders of the town. These are the people who have been turning the world upside down, they told them. Now they're here. Another translation, these are the people who are subverting the civilized world. They are subverting the decrees of the emperor, they said, saying there is another king named Jesus. Paul is accused of treason, the same charge leveled against Jesus. Paul would one day be executed in Rome on such charges, beheaded. He preached Jesus is Lord in a time when only Caesar was Lord. These people in Thessalonica wanted to get rid of Paul. They wanted to discredit him. They wanted to silence him. Hearing what Paul was doing, the leaders were disturbed. What was so disturbing about Paul's message, this good news that he talked about? Paul makes reference to it in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. It was a message, he says, that came to the Thessalonians in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, something that turned them from dead idols to serve a God who is living and true, the God who raised Jesus Christ from death. What was this radical disturbing thing that Paul was accused of spreading? Hope. Yes, hope. Hope in the risen Christ who triumphed over death. Hope is threatening to those who hold power through fear. Hope is dangerous because it pushes aside everything in its path. In Dante's Divine Comedy, these are the words inscribed over the gates of hell. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Hell is hope abandoned. Hell is hope no longer imagined. Hell is giving up. 
Hell is resignation. Though Paul himself would one day be executed, he would never give up. He would never abandon hope. And he wouldn't keep quiet. A faith that does not hope, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, is sick. There is no shame in hoping, he said. The only thing shameful is a miserable and anxious hopelessness that trusts nothing to God. This from a man who was put behind bars and executed for daring to hope for a world without Hitler. J. Christian Becker, a Dutch Reformed theologian, was taken as a young man from Nazi-occupied Holland and forced to work in Germany. There he got very sick. He was in a Berlin hospital during the Allied bombings of the city. Weak from typhus, Becker made his way to a window and looked out. The night sky over Berlin was ablaze with searchlights and anti-aircraft fire, biographer Ben Olenberger writes. The city itself was a conflagration, bombs exploding and buildings consumed in flames. There, standing at the window, watching Berlin burning down around him, Becker declared, only God is real. Becker's experience of suffering deepened his faith. It also made him look for hope. For without hope, such suffering would be meaningless. All suffering, he said, is framed by a hope in the ultimate triumph of God over unanswered evil. God, Becker says, hates suffering. God, Martin Luther said, suffers with us in Christ. In the face of suffering, the hope of the Apostle Paul was reckless against all common sense. So it was for Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Christian Becker. So for Christians throughout the ages. The world still suffers. We have lots of reasons not to be hopeful. But if we go with the Apostle Paul, the worse things get, the more reasons we have to hope. Who hopes for what can be seen, he asked. This pandemic is uncharted territory for most of us. We haven't experienced anything like this in our lifetime. Not since the great influenza a hundred years ago or the polio epidemic of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Both were terrifying in their randomness. We thought something like this could never happen again. In the West, we assumed that we had immunized ourselves against all such threats. But here we are. We are masked. We are quarantined. We are locked down. We are socially distanced. We are mitigating. Many have died. Many are suffering. All from something we can't see but can only imagine. And our imagination takes us to scary places. Some among us are in denial, scoffing at the danger, mocking the precautions. Some even suggest this is a hoax. There are fewer and fewer of these people, but there is a real anxiety, a gnawing fear as the economic impact settles in, especially among those who've been put out of work. 
The choices ahead are all difficult and the prospects are uncertain. We long for a return to normal, all the while fearing that normal has forever changed. We ask, where are you, God? And what are you doing? Christian Becker, in his book, Suffering and Hope, says that many people who are suffering succumb either to despair or denial, while others cling to highly selfish hopes in survival technology, or they escape into a fantasy of heavenly bliss for the few who are chosen in a place not contaminated by the realities of suffering. Others, he says, become credulous ideologues, believing anything told them. In the midst of suffering, he says, we long for a place to escape to, our own private village stocked with lots of toilet paper and bottled water, where everything is the way it was, where we can control the outcome. But we can't escape the Holocausts around us, Becker reminds us. We can't escape them for long. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the midst of suffering, there is no way around it, only a way through it together. We can isolate ourselves physically, but we can't isolate ourselves emotionally for long. The irony of this experience is that in being separated, we are in some ways actually becoming closer. A virtual meeting is no substitute for a hug, but it does stir up memories of hugs past and gives us a longing for more to come. Having been able to live our own lives independently of one another, we are now discovering just how much we need each other. I'm talking to neighbors at an appropriate social distance that I never knew existed. This pandemic is, for many, breaking down walls even as we keep healthy boundaries. In an unintended and unexpected way, the hopelessness of this situation is driving us to hope, to find new ways to be together while apart. It's even created a new genre of pandemic humor. Look into the shadows together and fear loses its power over us. We are not alone. Therein lies a little bit of hope. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 puts it like this. Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, a hope that does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Poured into our hearts. Paul here is talking about the grace of suffering. Who would have thought there was any grace in suffering? That takes us to the cross where God emptied himself into our suffering so that we would not be alone. And in sharing our suffering shows us not an escape from suffering, but a way through it. As we come to this table today, 
and receive the bread and cup. We remember that suffering, but we don't stay there. We also look for resurrection, and in this find reason to hope in the midst of it all. We are being transformed in this painful experience together, letting go of the stuff that doesn't matter, and discovering what is truly precious in our lives and in each other. Our job as Christians is to turn the world upside down with hope against the odds. Our job is to turn the world upside down with mercy and justice where there is none, and through this, to bring hope to others. Our job is to turn the world upside down with love, unexpected, unlooked for, unexplainable love. Our job is to virtually and really hope our way together to the other side. Crazy? Yes. Reckless? Of course. But the God of life and resurrection, the God of beginnings without end, is with us. Don't be afraid. Hope is here. Hope is among you. Hope is on the horizon. Hope is on the way. Together, by the grace of God, we will get there. Amen.